It's Sunday morning, and we are in a study on several things that are related to each other. We're particularly on the subject of Saul and David. Saul and David. Now, the the story of Saul and David is in 1 Samuel. And since Saul dies in the last chapter of 1 Samuel, he's not in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel is about the life of David. That's David's life. David and all of his, some of his mistakes and so forth. And we're going to go through these books. And God did not, Saul didn't pick out God. God picked out Saul. And David didn't pick out God to be king of Israel. God picked him out, just like he picks us out, just like he chooses us. If he didn't choose us, you don't find a place where David is born again. You don't find a place where Saul is born again. You don't find a place where Jeremiah or Isaiah are born again. You don't even see that. God just picks people out in the Old Testament, convicts their heart, and they begin to believe God. And he goes to them just like he did the Apostle Paul. When he struck Paul down on the Damascus Road, he didn't ask Paul, would you like to accept me as your Savior? He doesn't say, would you like to pray to me and ask me to save you? He just strikes him down and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's the way God comes to us. He comes to us the same way he came to all those prophets. You'll not find anywhere where they're asked to accept God or accept Jesus. People say, how are you saved? You're saved by belief. I've said it a thousand times. You're not saved by a sinner's prayer. There's no such thing as a sinner's prayer. You're not saved by accepting Christ. The Bible says that the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. The word natural is our word physical. It's the word suchikos, P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. P-S-U-C-H-I-K-O-S. Suchikos would be our word physical or natural. And the natural man is the man of the senses. That's what you'll find when you look up this word natural or suchikos there in 1 Corinthians, uh, the second chapter and verse 14. Uh, It's the sensual man. You cannot accept Christ. The natural man does not receive. Decomai, I put this on the board so many times, I can't count. Decomai, I have an aversion to this accept Christ gospel because my father used to give invitation hymns and say, if you don't know tonight, you need to come and accept Christ. I walked the aisle, gosh, I couldn't tell you how many times wanted to go down there and make sure and accept Christ, but there's no such thing. Uh, You can't accept Christ because the Bible says so. Dekomai means to receive an offer that's been given. It comes from the word dek, which is the word ten. I keep saying a decade is ten years. 
decade is 10 years. And decomai means to reach out the 10 fingers and accept an offer that's been pre- presented. You cannot accept Christ. And the main reason you cannot accept Christ is that over here in Romans, the third chapter, the Bible says, as it is written, there is none righteous there in verse 10. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Nobody seeks God walking down an aisle. They don't hear a word, and they decide to seek the Lord. You cannot seek the Lord when you are dead in sin. He has to seek us. And the Bible says over there in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that he scourges every son he receiveth. And that word receiveth is the same word, decomai, as over here in 1 Corinthians 2.14. God has to accept us. He makes us accepted in the beloved. We cannot accept him because we cannot reach out for him. We're dead in sin. So there's none that seeketh after God. If you believe God, you have to believe what he puts in your heart. Otherwise, you have nothing to put faith in. Faith is not something you do. It's something God does in you. Remember, faith is the noun. Faith is the noun. And believe is the verb. You have verb. You have a noun and a verb form of the noun. Believe. I've said this. I noticed last night I said it on TV, and I don't want to forget this. You have to be in the narrow way. Narrow way. But you cannot put yourself in the narrow way because narrow thalibo means it means to crowd through a narrow opening it comes from the word thalipsis and thalipsis is the common word tribulation all through the bible and you have to be in the tribulation way it is the one way jesus said i am the way And the is a definite article. It means there's no other way to life. Now, people will say, what about the Buddhists? Aren't they good people? Well, no. And no more than you're a good person. Nobody's good. There's none good. And he goes on to say that. He says, there's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. Verse 12. They're all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Nobody does good. I've talked to people. They'll say, well, I know some good men in life, and they're they're pretty good. No, they're not. Outside of Christ, everyone is worthless. If he does not bring you alive, make you come to life, you're not coming to him. You have to be in the narrow way. The Bible says in Matthew seven thirteen and 14, straight is the gate. And narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. It doesn't say eternal life, but that's what it means. Eternal life, and only a, and only a few are going to find that narrow way. How do you get in the narrow way? How do we get into this tribulation way? God has to speak to our hearts and place 
faith in our hearts because you cannot, since nobody seeks God, you cannot have faith. You cannot believe God. Unless he puts belief in your heart, you can't get to heaven. And then he says, once I put you in the, once I birth you by my will, I will birth you by my will. And when I birth you by my will, we're born not of blood, not of blood, John one thirteen, not of blood. And by the way, that's the word hyma, a i m a, and it is it is plural. He says you're not born of your mother and father's blood, nor of the will of the flesh. You're not born by your own will, not by your own thelema, T-H-E-L-E-M-A. That is the word determination. You cannot determine your new birth. People hate this message because they like to think that they walked down the aisle and got their salvation. No, you didn't. Nobody does that. If you have conviction of truth, that has to come from God. You say, when does it happen? I don't have any idea when it happened. I don't believe anybody knows when they're born again any more than they know when they were physically born. Does anybody remember when they were physically born? Does anybody remember that? Well, you're too young. You couldn't know that. But once you're in that birth, then you have to end up in a narrow way with your parents if they raise you right they're going to spank you and and they're going to every son that God receives he chastens and scourges everyone that he accepts he accepts us we do not accept him there's just no way we can accept him because nobody is seeking God when they come to an age that they can see and understand who God is you can't seek God unless he births you and you'll only seek him after he births you and you'll get into the narrow way. And by the way, the narrow way is something that is commanded in all of those that he gives life to. It's a command. I forgot to say that last night on the TV. I thought, gosh, I wish I'd have said that. It is a command from God. A command. Is there any choice when Jesus commands us? A command is an imperative mood. If you look up an imperative mood and the imperative says something and it comes from the mouth of Jesus, it's a command that it will happen. Jesus is the same God from the first chapter of Genesis that said, let there be light. There was no doubt the light was going to be none. It is going to be because he commanded it. So if he says... I guess one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, Luke 9, 23. I love this verse because Jesus says, he says, any man after me, any man that's going to follow me, he said, deny self, self, take up cross, take cross, Follow me. Now that last part of that 
follow me has to do with the narrow way and that is commanded that's an imperative command so is deny an imperative command and so is take cross an imperative command it's a command coming from the mouth of jesus is it going to happen is it going to happen according to your choice is it going to happen according to your will or whether you want to want to follow him and want to give up self how long does it take to do this it's it's a lifetime process it is like deny this is the beginning of your life as a believer here's the new birth deny take it's like one statement through your entire life follow and follow is a command of jesus that is jesus talking there he says if any man will come after me he says i am commanding you to deny self but that's because you've got a hearing ear proverbs 20 and 12 says the hearing ear and the seeing eye the lord has made even both of them if he gives you a hearing ear then what you've got the word hear uh, shama is the same word as obey in the hebrew he's commanding us to obey him when he says deny self boy it takes a long time to figure out what deny self means isn't does everybody completely understand that deny self it don't mean to deny things it means to put god first in your life and not yourself you're to be come up you're to take up the rear you're the whole point is follow me means to be in the same way with well if we're in the same way we're in the narrow way so the narrow way and this is an imperative command the narrow way is a command in every life of every believer you're going to go through tribulation it's a tribulation way and you're going to have to go through it because god commands it you're going to be persecuted in the tribulation way people are going to hate you they're not going to like you when you tell them christmas is pagan god doesn't love everybody and predestination is true and christmas is pagan and easter is pagan and it doesn't matter whether people believe it they don't want to believe it because they hadn't heard their preacher in some baptist church or some pentecostal church or some some church say this just because they hadn't heard it it didn't mean it's not true it was against the law to celebrate christmas 300 years ago in america i didn't make that up people act like i make that up when i say it to them just because you haven't heard it before there's a whole lot of things you haven't heard that are true isn't it a lot so take cross take is the word a i r o i'm quite sure the word a r r o w comes from that because arrow means to lift up into the air and pick up your cross and the cross is daily daily it's a daily cross and you only get that by being condemned to a cross 
You couldn't be crucified in the first century unless you're condemned to a cross. So we have to take our cross. We have to follow the Lord. And we have to deny self. You say, I don't know what all that means. Well, then start wrestling with it and ask God to reveal to you. And whenever you start making decisions, you'll start saying, is this good for me? Is this good for the kingdom of God? Am I supposed to continue to do what I'm doing? Has anybody ever changed what you did because you had doubts about whether it was right or not? You should question everything you do. Everything. Now, there was a time I didn't question anything. Even in my 40s, I just went out to make money, and that's all I was going to do. And I had a half and half. I had half Jesus and half self in my life. But when you have half Jesus and half self, you got a 100% self in your life. You can't have half and half. Now, the reason you cannot be saved on your own is you're worthless and you're nothing. So without God birthing you by his will, and because none seeks after God and none believes God, salvation can only come from him. He'll reach out and touch the hearts of believers and cause you to come alive and says now this is just the beginning now that you're born again you're going to have to learn to behave yourself and it takes years of study and listening and years of adding to your faith your faith must grow faith must grow why did the apostles come to jesus and say lord increase our faith that means they had a little faith there's a man in the ninth chapter of mark said lord i believe help thou mine unbelief there's a part of me that don't believe and lord help the part that don't believe it's like peter said in second peter one and five peter one and five besides all this give all diligence add to your faith Add to faith, and he names five, he means uh, seven things that you have to add to your faith. And it's the first thing he starts off with is, is maturity, arete, virtue. He says, add virtue, grow up and become mature. If you're mature, you're going to question everything you're doing. I'm questioning everything I do now, which I didn't do in my 30s or 40s. Have you started saying, am I supposed to be doing this? Are you saying, should I be using this curse word? Should I be going to this movie? Or should I let people see me walking into a movie house? Should I be talking this way? Should I be saying these things to my friends? Should I be around my friends and not sharing the truth with them you don't have to be mean and jump their case just share with them what the bible says talking about repentance and daily cross and self-denial we should do that now we've been talking about saul and david this has everything to do with them because the narrow way is the constant continual death of self if self is going to die, you've got to find out what you're doing wrong in order to make it right. There's several things that I have been talking about on Sunday morning. 
And one of the things that I want to zero in this morning, when you want to know what is death to self, well, there's a word that I've been talking about a lot lately, and it's called wrath or or gay. And in the Greek, it's spelled O R G Ada. The Ada on end of the word is feminine. This is not possible that this could be God's wrath. Now, one of the famous writers, one of the famous Greek teachers, Mr. Mount, said, Well, that can be God's wrath or man's wrath. No, it can't. I believe what they did is they translated it so you could. So they could make it in doubt as to whether it's God putting the wrath of man or or whether man is conjuring that up in himself. They're trying to, some of them will try to say that this orgay is God's wrath. I do not believe that. The Bible says in Romans one eighteen that God is the one that puts this wrath. And they mistranslated the words. If you mistranslate a word, you make it look like something it's not. Now, look look back. I went through Romans 1 here last week, but I'm just going to say this again. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath, the orge of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Against is not the word. It's the word epi. It means a bone. This wrath, this orge is revealed from God. It is his wrath in one respect. It's something he owns to dispense the way he wants to. And he puts it upon us because he did that by our nature. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and 3 that orge, that orge it says, Wrath is the nature of man, or orge is the nature of, it's man's nature. And I could go into that first chapter of Genesis when God made Adam out of corrupt dust. It was in his flesh. That's why Adam had to sin. He had to sin because Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Why would Jesus be slain in the mind of God before the foundation of the world if Adam had a choice? Adam didn't have any choice. He was made of something that he had to sin. It was absolute necessity. Why would our names be written in the book of life before the foundation of the world? Of the world? Why would our names, if Adam wasn't going to sin? God says to Adam, The day you sin, you will die. He didn't say, if you sin. He said, the day you sin, you're going to die, and you will sin. And you will go against God. Now look over here, back over to the third chapter. I don't know if I read this last week, but the third chapter of Romans, in verse 5, if our righteousness command the righteousness of God what shall we say is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance taketh vengeance is very confusing by the translation it doesn't say taketh vengeance 
It says epipharo, that's the word. This is what they changed to taketh, E-P-I-P-H-E-R-O. Taketh, and vengeance, that word vengeance is orge. And this means to place epi upon man, this orge, through his very nature. God did that because he put us in these bodies, and we can't overcome that. And the orge is the anger and the fury and the rage of a covetous man who wants his way. I want to have what I want. And it may not show up as rage, but you're in rage against God when you say, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care what you say. Well, and you're wanting to get revenge because you're covetous Pleonectes. And pleonectes means to want more any way you can get it, any devious way that you can get what you want. I want what I want, and it is I want to get revenge, and I'm going to get these people back. They did me wrong, and I'm going to get them. Has anybody ever had that in them? We all have had that, haven't we? Sometimes it's going on right now with a whole bunch of folks here. They've hurt me on my job. They've hurt me in the family, and I'm going to get them back. I'll show them. That is never acceptable in the life of a believer. If somebody hurts you, accept it and keep going. Now, I want to give you some more of these verses. Look over here in Hebrews one of my favorite verses in Hebrews on the Orge is in Hebrews. Hebrews, third chapter, and where it comes from, it's, it's the vengeance that man wants to get people back because of the way they've done him. That is the nature of every man, whether it's a believer or a non-believer. But the non-believer is never going to get over this because God's not going to work in that man. He, the person that is a believer is the one that God is commanding. You need to get over your orge or anger or rage or getting back at people. That is not our business. God says, the revenge belongs to me. Vengeance is mine. He says, making things right. Ekdikasis, E-K. D-I-K-E-S-I-S. That's the word vengeance. Revenge belongs to me, God says. It comes from D-K meaning right and ek meaning out. I'm going to write things out. I'm going to make things right with my own revenge. That is not our business ever. If you're going to fix people, forget that. First of all, you're not going to fix them, even if you try. Has anybody ever gotten in an argument with somebody and you fixed them and they changed? It don't ever happen, ever, ever. I've had people come here, accuse me of things, and I'm not going to try to get them back. I've had that going for years. Just make up stories about me, make up stories about each other, don't always listen to people who are making up stories about one another. 
find out who they are to begin with before you start gossiping saying I don't like them because of this or that and you're finding some first of all you're supposed to be patient and put up with people people's idiosyncrasies and their their little quirks you're supposed to put up with that as a believer you're not supposed to start complaining about it now look here in Hebrews 3 here's this word in chapter 3 starting in verse 8 harden not your hearts as in the provocation what was the provocation that was in Israel when Israel provoked God because they said you brought us out here in the desert to die and we had plenty of melons and leeks and and vegetables in Egypt and we don't have it out here so they started this was the people's revenge against God harden not your heart in the in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness when your fathers tempted me and proved me and I saw my and saw my works 40 years in the wilderness wherefore I was grieved with that generation and said they do always err in their heart and they have not known my ways my hodos that's narrow is the hodos narrow is the way they haven't known my narrow ways so I swear in my wrath that's a bad translation my is a possessive pronoun wrath wrath is the word orge and it wasn't God's wrath orge is feminine gender and my is not my it's thee now I know where the translators got my wrath I'm quite sure this is what they did it actually says so I swore in the feminine gender wrath or gay feminine gender and then it says moo moo means of me what he's saying there this feminine wrath they changed the a definite article this is an article that's an adjective an article is an adjective and they changed it to a possessive pronoun my can you do that no but i believe what the what the translators did they looked at of me and they thought we don't want it to sound like the or gay comes from god so we'll just put my wrath it wasn't God wasn't swearing in his wrath. He was swearing in the orgay of the people who were provoking him earlier in that chapter. That's what he was swearing in. I swear their wrath that they would not enter into my rest, speaking of Canaan. Now, I got a couple more of these I want to give to you. He says, I swore in the wrath of the people. The reason it's feminine is because Babylon mothered all idolatry was the mother she gave birth to idolatry and she was founded on self in Genesis 11 and 4 when they said let us make us a name they said let us make 
us. And Babylon is the mother of all idolatry, and this is their doctrine. Let us make us a name. And when we make ourselves a name, the word name, shim, means authority. We'll make up our own authority, and we'll say, all that matters is us. My favorite verse over in the 47th chapter concerning Babylon, over there in the 47th chapter of Isaiah, I am and none else beside me. I'm the only one that matters in this situation. Every situation you're in, you're not supposed to be the one that matters. God is. Now, so let me give you something else. How he's the Bible says he saved us there in Romans, the fifth chapter, he saved us from wrath. He saved us. When he saved us, he saved us from the orge. And the orge is what we have to get over. Orge is self. It's in a rage. It wants self. I'll get you back in my covetousness. I'm tired of people beating me, and I'm not going to put up with that anymore. Sounds like some guy out of a movie, doesn't it? All right, look over here and look back over here in in First uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Has everybody gotten over their orgay? Is anybody wrestling with it? Never <laughs> will. Well, it'll die down as you get older if God's dealing with your heart. If he's dealing with your heart, you'll get to where you don't pass judgment on people so quick, knowing that you're also in that situation. Now look here in First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. I'll get there in a minute. All right. First chapter. All right. First chapter. First Thessalonians. I think that's why I'm, I'm in Colossians. That's why that wouldn't work. All right. Now, let's read verse 9 and 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. We have to enter in to the narrow. Enter ye in at the straight gate. Enter is the word E-I-S-O-D-O-S. That word enter E-I-S-O-D-O-S. It comes from the word ice and hodos. It means to enter in the way. And the way is narrow and it's full of tribulation. So we have to enter into the narrow way. But our entering is a continual entering. And he says... Entering in, we had unto you, and now you turn to the God from idols to serve the living, to serve the living and true God. And he's talking to the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were up here, up here in the uh, top of the Aegean Sea. See where that thing looks like little three fingers right there? That's Thessalonica right there, and then Philippi's right next door to it. So that's the Thessalonians, and they were pagans. He said, you used to be heathens, but now you're entering in. And to wait for his son, verse 10, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, 
which delivered us from wrath, from orge. Now, God has delivered us, but this is present tense, middle voice. It means something that's being done to us, and being present tense, it means it's a continual work of God delivering us from orge. He don't just deliver us once. He delivers us all through our lives. And if you want to get over the orgay, just get older and you will. You'll get tired of fighting the world. And he delivered us from the wrath to come. He has delivered us. He is delivering us. And he shall deliver us from this wrath. Now, let me give you something else here on this orgay. The orgay is the curse of man. He's delivered us. He saved us from wrath in Romans 5 and 9. He saved us from orgay. He has saved us. He is saving us. And he's going to continue to save us and get us out of our passing judgment on the world, wanting to get people back for what we've been doing, for what they've been doing to us. Boy, if we can get the nature of Christ, we're predestined to be conformed to his likeness or his nature. That's what we're predestined to. The nature of Christ doesn't complain, doesn't gossip, doesn't doesn't put anybody down. Just gives the truth out and lets people do to him what they want to. As a lamb to slaughter, as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't get mad at people. He said, I've got to go fulfill this. And while he's on the cross, he's not wanting to get people back. While these people are crucifying him and a bunch of them in the crowd are believers, he said, Father, forgive them. He's talking about the believers only who joined in his crucifying. You mean believers believers can crucify Christ? Well, the Bible says in Hebrews 6, they can crucify Christ afresh when they fall away. It doesn't mean you get unsaved. You fall away and you begin to crucify Christ. When you fall away from crucifying self, you fall away from denying self, you're, you're, you're doing things that you're not supposed to be doing and you're back involved in your orgay. We're not supposed to be doing that. Now, let me give you a couple more of these because there's so much to this. Look here in Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5. So he's delivered us and he's going to continue to deliver us. I'm an old man and I can tell you, you will be delivered from your orgay if you live long enough. You'll get over wanting to get people back. You'll get hurt. You'll be weary. You'll be grieved. But you'll get over wanting to get people back for how they did you wrong. If they did you wrong, do you deserve it? <laughs> yeah. Yes. The Bible says God has punished us less than our iniquities deserve in that ninth chapter of Ezra. And that was something that Ezra said in his great prayer he said, Lord, you've punished us less than our iniquities deserve because we're seeking friendship with the world and wanting their money. And when we want their money and we're friends with the world, that's, and you're doing all this to us, you put us into captivity. We deserve everything you're doing to us. 
So if God uses somebody to give you a hard time, if somebody, if God uses a person to give you a hard time and do you wrong, absolutely wrong, it's God that's doing that. It's not them in their evil people doing an evil thing, but they're instruments in the hand of God. They're a sword in God's hand cutting you down until you learn to get over yourself. And that's what denying self is. You deny self whenever you say, I'm not going to try to get anybody back for what they're doing to me. And that's where that's where uh, Saul went wrong with David. It was God's will that David be king because Saul had completely disobeyed God and Saul wants to kill David because God made David king and Saul's not going to get through this he's not going to come out at all but let me give you a couple of more of these look over here in Ephesians 5 Ephesians the 5th chapter and verse 6 Let no man deceive you with vain words, kenologos, K-E-N-O-L-O-G-O-S, K-E-N-O-L-O-G-O-S. Logos is the word word, kenos means evil words. They're vain and worthless when they just speak out and say things that shouldn't be said. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things, what things? What did you just got through mentioning? Because of these things cometh the orge, the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. What things? Well, they just got through saying up here, but fornication, all uncleanness, verse 3, and covetousness, I don't want here to be named once among you Christians there at Ephesus. Let it not be once named among you as become of saints, neither filthiness, which would be obscenity, nor foolish talking, nor jesting. The word jesting is the word eutrapelia, E U T R A P E. E-U-T-R-A-P-E-L-E-I-A. Eutrapelia means to take the word of God and joke about it and make something lascivious out of it. And people, there are people that sit around. I won't joke about the Bible. We may say, well, was that predestined? Yeah, that was preordained that you go through that. But when it comes to joking with the word of God, I'm the last person that will joke with you about that. Then he says, So, no jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. And this we know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater. Covetousness is this result of orgay. And if you have the orgay, you're an idolater. E I D O L O L A T R E I A. Idolatry means to serve, latruo, what you see, ito. 
so if you're involved in your orgay, the idol you're worshiping is you. We got to get over ourselves, folks. This is a requirement of God, not in order to be saved, but because He is saving us, and you'll be miserable. The longest day you live, as long as you live for yourself and defense of yourself. I've learned something. I've told people this here. I told one woman, don't defend me. You don't need to defend the preacher that's telling the truth. The word of God that I preach will defend itself. It's like Spurgeon said. You don't need to defend the Bible. The Bible is a roaring lion. Open the cage and let it out. That's all you have to do. The cage will be our mouth. Just let the word of God out and people will run from it. Now, where was I? All right. So because of all these things, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting, they're not convenient. Whoremongers, unclean persons, covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of God. And because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. When you're a disobedient child, it don't mean you're lost. It means you're not living right. I used to look at people who talked about living right as being self-righteous when I was young, 28 or 30 years old. I thought if somebody said, you have to live righteously and godly and holy until I began to study the word righteously. Righteousness uh, is, if you live righteous, you're going to have to suffer for it because the Bible says, bless you when men, when men say all matter of evil against you for righteousness' sake. And, and whenever I think of holy, I thought of somebody pretending to be holy when I was young. Now, holy, hagios, means to be pure. It means the fire that you go through will burn out the impurities in you, and you'll stop your covetousness, and you'll stop trying to redefine the Bible your way like these guys that are changing the words in the Bible. They changed my to a definite article. They changed wrath to make it look like it was God's wrath when it was or gay, it was the wrath of the people. They changed a lot of words in a King James Bible. It's not the King James Bible that's the inspired word of God. It is the Textus Receptus, the original text. And that's what I go back to. Now, I want us to go over here. There's a there's a verse over here that's really strong when it comes to what causes, what does the orgate cause in your life? All right, look over here at, at Colossians 3 and verse 6. Colossians 3. Colossians 3. This is kind of says the basic same thing that we saw over there in in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. I'm just going to read the verse here in verse 6. For which things... So it's talking about something said before this. For which things sake the wrath of God, the wrath... That comes from God. It says, the way it says it, it says it the same way here as it says it in the original text. It says, hey, the, or gay, 
feminine gender, feminine gender, mu. The wrath that is of me, that's upon man. It's talking about the wrath of man, not the wrath of God. The wrath of, that comes upon man that's of me because I placed it upon him. He placed it on us when he made us out of this flesh. There's no good flesh out there. Now, he says here in Colossians, we're going to have to back up to find out what these things are. So let's back up to, uh, let's back up to the first verse. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those, how can they be risen with Christ? They haven't even died yet. How can the Colossians be risen? Remember, resurrection, anastasis, it means to come to life after dying. And that anastasis is feminine gender. And Paul said, I die daily. And anastasis is coming to life after dying. Well, he's saying to the, to the Colossians, if you are risen with Christ after dying daily, they're not risen from the dead yet because they haven't died yet. He's talking to a living church here. Seek those things which are above. Uh, seek those things which are, the word above, anno, means from the top. It means seek something that's from heaven. You remember the opposite of this word anno? If you seek the earth, you're seeking gay. The word is G-E, gay, soil, or dirt. You're seeking everything in this world is made of dirt. Everything you can see, everybody you can see, every object you can see, the cars, the houses, the lands, the buildings, everything that's tangible is made of dirt. But men seek dirt. That's why they hate the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ crucifies their dirt and looks to things above. Seek the spiritual things. It doesn't matter how much you have or how much you don't have. Seek spiritual things. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the gay, the earth, (laughs) the earth, soil, dirt. Men hate the cross of Christ in Philippians, the third chapter, because their God is their belly. And it, it, they mind earthly things. Their mind, their phroneo, P-H-R-O-N-E-O, their sentiment, their feeling, their emotions, their emotions are on the dirt, not on the things above. That's something I can say. And if you're young, you're going to have a hard time understanding it. Because I'm seeking the things that are above. I have never sought the Lord like I am now. Never in my life. I did not seek God at 45 the way I'm seeking him now. He's put me in check. He made me realize 
I'm going to die soon. Not because I got some some uh, deathly disease, but because I'm old. Anybody that's over 60, you don't have that long to live. Don't you know that? If you're going to serve God, shouldn't it be today, right now? If you're ever going to be persecuted, shouldn't it be now? But that doesn't mean because you're younger that you get a free ride or free ticket. No. God's going to deal with all of his people so we will learn to get over ourselves. So he goes on to say, set your affections on things above and not on the earth, not on dirt, not on soil, for you're you're dead and your life is hid with Christ and God. You're dead to the world. We're supposed to be, aren't we? We're supposed to be dead to the world. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, mortify. Mortify. Necro, N-E-K-R-O-O. Necro, we think of necromancy. Necromancy is talking to the dead. Necrao means to kill off. He's saying, here's what you have to kill off. If you have to kill it off, it doesn't happen one day, all of a sudden. Kill off, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, pornea. That's the common word for fornication. It's also the same word in Revelation 17 and 5. Babylon is the mother of harlotry. Babylon. And Babylon is built on self. And when you look up the definition of pornea, it will say, we get the word porn from that, but it doesn't just mean to look at naked pictures of men and women. It's more than that. It means idolatry. It means serving what you see, whether it's a naked woman or a car or yourself. Whatever you look at and you long for and you long to have, that's your idol. It's filling your eyes and your ears with what you hear and what you look at. That's a hard, hard thing because Ecclesiastes eight says that the eye all things are full of labor the eye is not filled with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing the mouth won't simply utter it all things are full of labor you will labor to fulfill the things that you put into your eyes and your ears we got to watch out what we listen to and what we watch and the main thing we have to watch out what we look at is that person we comb their hair in the mirror or we put on their makeup on that person in the mirror. That's our biggest problem. That's our biggest idol is us. We we have a we have something to overcome. Saul had the same problem with David. Now fornication, pornea, uncleanness, acathos acatharia, A K A-T-H-A-R-O-S. 
or IA, either one. A catharos comes from catharizo, K-A-T-H-A-R-I-Z-O. When you look up the word cauterize in Webster's Dictionary, cauterize, it will tell you that it comes from the Greek word catharizo. It means to cleanse something when you cauterize it. Placing the alpha in front of that means no cleanness. It means there's something there that's not clean in your mind. Cauterize. This is what brings about the orgay. Uncleanness, boy, like this inordinate affection. Whoo wee. Now this is gonna hit some people real hard. Inordinate affection. It's the word pathos affection. Pathos. Pathos means to suffer. It's an affection you have for something that causes you to suffer. I love her so much. I got to have her. I love him and I want him. I don't care what it costs me. I want that car. I want that job. I want what I want. And I don't care whether anybody likes it. I'm going to get it. That Has anybody had that kind of affection for somebody or something? It was overwhelming in your life, and you couldn't even think or live because all you were doing is thinking about that. We're not supposed to be doing that. That's, that's hard, hard on our, on our bodies. It makes you worried and stressed, and you end up with, with all kinds of physical problems. You might end up with bronchial asthma like I've got. Now, he says all of these things... Inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. The word concupiscence, evil is the word kakos, which I've said a while ago. Kakos and concupiscence, I don't know why. I don't know why they translate this concupiscence. It's just the word epithumia. What is that word normally in the text? It's the word lust. It's evil lust. And I think all lust is evil. And it comes from the word epi and thumos. Epi means to cover all over. Cover your life with breathing hard. I just got to get them back. I got to have my way. I don't care what I have to do. Do you know that bothers me to even talk like that? If I can try to express myself, it makes me feel bad to talk real hard trying to exhibit how this is about. That's completely alien to the believer. And you might do that when you're young, but if you don't learn not to do that when you get old, you'll get real sick before it's over with. Now, so he says, our concupiscence and covetousness, pleonexia, P-L-E-O-N-E-X-I-A, P-L-E-O-N-E-X-I-A, pleonexia. And we get pleonectase or covetousness from that. 
It means to be involved in avarice, a fraudulent, kind of misrepresent something so you can get what you want out of the deal. You got a car and it's heating up and you don't tell the people it's heating up and you sell them this car and come to find out it's got a busted block and they come back and they're screaming at you and because you did them wrong and you did and people will do things like this you can't just take advantage of people if you borrow something you got to fix it you can't bring it back broken can you huh we've had people borrow things here we had a guy borrow a lawnmower from somebody he broke it and put it up in his garage broke and he's the borrower and after six months, the other guy said, well, where's my lawnmower? It's in there broke. Go in there and get it if you want to. No, no. You borrow a lawnmower, you bring it back fixed. You borrow anything, you bring it back fixed. I just, I don't believe in borrowing something from somebody that I don't guarantee it'll be in the same condition when I get it back. Now, I don't borrow stuff. I don't like to do that. So all of these things... That's why he says, he says, put off or mortify or kill off all these things because they produce in you for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, the orgay. You want to know what will get you in the middle of a mess of orgay? Read that fifth chapter. If you don't kill it off. And then he goes on down here and talks about the things you have to put on. He says, put on, therefore, in verse 12, as the elect of God, holy, agios, purity, takes fire to do that. Beloved, agapatos, which is a form of agape. Bowels of mercy, splanknon. They said that the, so instead of having these deeds of the flesh up here, you got to put on the what's necessary to be a Christian kindness crestatos which means which means what is useful spiritually and put on humbleness of mind it means to think humble see you can't just be humble by saying I'm humble I'm going to bow and let you do what you want to me you have to have a humble mind if people do you wrong the revenge starts up here doesn't it Then it comes out your mouth and out your hands. We're not supposed to do that. Let me give you another interesting verse on this. And it'll show you just how off base some of the Pentecostals are. Look over here in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy, the second chapter. I'm going to kind of straighten something out here. Paul says to Timothy, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. Holy hands are not these physical hands. It's not these hands here. Holy hands has to come from the heart. And it has to be what you do. It don't mean to raise your hands in the air. What do you get when you raise your hands in the air? Touchdown. That's what you get, or extra point. That's it. Now, 
he says lifting up holy hands this is nearly funny because the Pentecostals say well that means to raise your hands in the air but it goes on to say lifting up holy hands without wrath without or gay without if it's standing in a church raising your hands in the air uh, then you got to be sure that the guy next to you you're not arguing with him. all right now i'm going to get you back <laughs> if it's raising your hands in the air do it without without or gay and doubting now the word doubting doubting is a word that means uh, it's the word dialogismos it means to debate you realize how ridiculous this sounds if it means to raise your hands in the air do it without being angry and covetous and wanting to get somebody back and do it without debating with them you can't be raising your hands up in the air without debating you understand what I'm saying if it's what the Pentecostals say be sure when you raise your hands up to God that you're not angry and you're not it's not what it's talking about look at Acts the 17th chapter it's talking about lifting your hands up to go out to do the work of God look at Acts 17th chapter Seventeen. look in verse 24 God that made the world and all things therein seeing that he is the Lord of heaven and earth dwelleth not in temples made with hands neither is worshipped with men's hands this is men's hands here the skin on them you can't go out and build something for the Lord with make with men's hands it has to be holy hands coming from the heart holy hands doesn't have to do with skin on your hands it has to do with whatever you do it has to come from the heart and don't go out here fighting and arguing with people and trying to debate with them and having revenge on your mind you can't do that that's not what you're supposed to be doing now now we've been talking about Saul. Let's go back over there to First Samuel. How much time do I have, Mike? What? Thirty-seven. Maybe we can get some of this in here. What Saul's problem was was orgay. All of these things that bring about orgay is what Saul's problem was. He knew what the God said. He knew that Samuel was God's preacher he knew that in fact Saul loved Samuel at the end of his life he wants a witch to go conjure up Samuel and get advice from Samuel because he is trying he's been trying to he's been going all over the country chasing David trying to kill him Saul got caught twice he got caught in a cave once when he's chasing David and in this cave David was in the cave and Saul didn't know he was there and David cuts off a part of his robe and comes out of the cave when Saul leaves 
it's dark in there and david raises up saul's piece of saul's robe and says hey look what i've got i was in the cave behind you and abner you're supposed to be his protector you're his commanding general and you're supposed to be his bodyguard and i've got part of his robe here what is wrong with you and he's correcting abner for having dropped the ball this is one of the most amazing things because Saul is trying to kill David completely through 1 Samuel. He's out to get him because he doesn't like the fact that David has been appointed to be king in his place. But see, he thinks that that place belongs to him because Samuel had anointed him to be king. And the Bible says over and over again that an evil spirit from the Lord entered into Saul. What was the evil spirit? It was pride. It was self. The throne belongs to me. Here's what is amazing to me. He knows that Saul, that Samuel, is the voice of God upon the earth. Saul, after after Samuel says, you're no longer king of Israel. God is taking you off the throne. I'm going down to southern Judah and get a, get a man to be king. I don't know who it is yet, but when I get down there, the Lord will tell me. And Saul says to Samuel, go tell the Lord I didn't mean it all. Tell him I, I, I really want to still be king. Tell, he said, it's tough. It's over with. Saul believed Samuel. But he wants to go against the word of God to get what he thinks belongs to him. And he knows that David has been anointed to be king in the sight of God. He knows that. And Saul is going to get David if he has to die doing it. And that's exactly what happens to him. He has to die in his pursuit of David's life. If you're not careful, your pursuit of evil will end up in your demise, your destruction. Now let's go back over here. We're in where we are. I believe we're in the 26th chapter of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 26. When I get over, I don't know I'll remember whether or where I was or not. All right. 1 Samuel. Where we are, from the 19th chapter to the end of the book, Saul is trying to kill David. I never heard a preacher even talk about Saul's pursuit of David through the whole book of 1 Samuel from the 19th chapter to the end of the book Saul says I'm going to get him somehow and he tries everything under the sun and in his trying God keeps delivering David against insurmountable odds of King Saul and the armies of Israel and of course those armies are not completely 100% behind Saul because at one point, he tells his soldiers to kill 85 priests of God when he's accusing Ahimelech, the high priest of Israel, of feeding David showbread and giving him a sword. And through all of this, David is, is presented. God gives David Saul. He gives him to him. And says, here's your 
Here's your enemy in your hand. You can kill him if you want to. And David says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. And Abishai, who is David's nephew, by his sister Zeruiah, he says, I want to... He, well, David, Abishai wanted to kill Saul. And David would say, back away from him. He is the Lord's anointed. If God wants him dead, God will kill him. What we've done, we've come through. Saul is uh, crying out to David in chapter 26 after David has him trapped. And David's standing off at a distance where God had caused a deep sleep to come over Saul and his armies. And David gets right up beside Saul's head. And and Joe, and uh, Abishai wants to kill Saul. He says, you can't do that. You touch him, you'll be in trouble. And then David says, after Saul starts saying, uh, calls David, my son David, I have sinned in verse 21 of chapter 26. David says in verse 1 of chapter 27, it looks like Saul is repenting, but he doesn't. He never really repents. And David said in verse chapter 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. David says, he's out to get me, and I can't believe his good words and fair speeches. I can't accept his smooth words. Because Saul keeps saying, oh, I'm, you're okay, I'm okay, we'll be all right, we'll be friends now. Now, I want us to look here in chapter 27. David said, I'll have perished by the hand of Saul, even though the last things he said to me were smooth uh, words. There is, in verse 1, David said in his heart, I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than I should escape into the land of the Philistines. So David heads back to the land of the Philistines. The land of the Philistines... It's very convenient for David. He's already made friends with some of the Philistines, and he's always telling them, we'll get together and we'll go over and kill Saul, but he has no intentions of killing Saul. He's not telling them the truth. That's not his aim. What David wants to do, it amazes me how he tricks Achish, one of the kings of the Philistines, and he tricks Achish to believing that he's on their side, and he's not. In fact, we saw we saw previously back uh, in the twenty-first chapter, David was running from Saul, and he had nowhere to go but to the land of the Philistines. In chapter 21, verse 10, David arose and fled that day for the fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. Gath was one of the cities of the Philistines. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of Saul, the king of the land? Now the Philistines said that David was the king of the land. They recognized David as the king and not Saul. That's an interesting point there. And did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? They're saying, we know about that song about David killing his ten thousands. And these are the Philistines. 
They even knew that. Well, the Philistines are... If this is Israel right here. And the land of the Philistines is on the southwest corner of Israel. And that's what's called the Gaza Strip today. Gaza Strip. And that was called the land of Anak when they were in the wilderness. And God told them to go in there and, and slaughter these people. But they were real tall and the men said, we can't go in there and kill them because they're too big for us. Even though God had delivered them from the most powerful army in the world, which was Pharaoh's army, when they crossed this this Red Sea and come into the Sinai Peninsula. And, and God told them, go in here and conquer these people. They said, no, we won't. That's why God put them 40 years in the wilderness a year for each day they spied out the land. Forty days they spied the land. So God says, I'm going to make you wander through the wilderness till I kill off all the unbelievers. So when you get to the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, which comes from duo and nomos, nomos is the Greek word law, duo means second law. When they start to cross the river, or the river, the Jordan River, to go in and conquer the land, they're all believers because God has killed off all unbelief out here in the wilderness in a 40-year period. So they're going to cross the land. They're going to cross the river, and you got the Dead Sea down here. You have the Sea of Galilee up here. And the, and the Jordan River, the, the point of emanation is up here, Galilee, and it empties into the Dead Sea, and the the Jordan River does. So when they go across the river, in the book of Deuteronomy, you have to keep in mind, Deuteronomy is at the end of their 40 years in the wilderness. And God's killed off all the unbelievers. So when you get into the 30, 30th chapter of Deuteronomy, and God says, I've set before you life and death. Choose life. He's not talking about choosing truth or choosing He's saying, choose to live righteously as godly people that you are. And don't choose to go after these other gods when you get into the land. So knowing where they are in these places. So here's David. And we've just got through showing where that King Achish. Achish has something else to do for David in this chapter. Let's read it. Nothing better that I should escape the Philistines and Saul shall despair of me to seek me any more in any coast of Israel, so I shall escape out of his hand. Verse 2, we're in chapter 27, 1 Samuel. David arose and he passed over with 600 men. That's usually what he had following him, 600. That's very important you notice that because when you get to the end of 2 Samuel, I've already told you this, I want to remind you, 2 Samuel David has, uh, in the 23rd chapter and the 24th chapter, David has 1,800,000 fighting men in Israel. That's a huge army. And he starts taking credit with these, all these men. In that 23rd chapter, he's naming all of his mighty men. And God is having to remind him, 
It's not numbers that you equipped Saul with because you only had 600 men and he had thousands. So David arose and, and he passed over with 600 men that were with him unto Achish, the son of Maacah, the king of Gath. Goliath was from Gath. Goliath of Gath. You remember reading that? So Goliath was one of the Philistines and David had killed Goliath and Achish is ready to accept David because he's he scrabbled on the wall when he first met him and pretended to be crazy and the Philistine men said he's crazy we don't have to kill him or do anything to him and David dwelt with Achish at Gath and he and his men every man with his household even David with his two wives Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath and he sought no more again for him. So Saul gets the message that David is hiding with the Philistines. If you go over and try to find David over there, you've got to fight the Philistines, which not every day of the week he wanted to do that. And David said unto Achish, If I have now found grace in thine eyes... Not spiritual grace, because Achish didn't have any of that. Let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should thy servant dwell in the royal city with thee? So Achish says, I'm going to give you a city for you to have for your own. Then Achish gave him Ziklag. And that's important. Well, that's where David has to go back to when he's forbidden to go with, with, he wants to go against, he wants to, when you get to the, the 31st chapter of 1 Samuel, David asked Achish, can I go into battle against Saul with you? Here's what I'll do. I'll bring up the rear, have all my armies bringing up the rear my 600 people, and you can be in front of us, and then you'll go against Saul, and we'll help you. But David's intentions was to help Saul destroy Achish and the other Philistines. David was being sneaky. He wasn't, you couldn't believe everything he was telling Achish. Let's read about it. And he's, he told Achish, you've got to give me a city. Then Achish gave him Ziklag that day, in verse 6. Wherefore Ziklag pertaineth unto the kings of Judah unto this day. And the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So he stays with them quite a, quite a long time. Full year and four months. And David and his men went up and invaded Geshurites and the Gezites, Gezerites and the Amalekites, for those nations were of old the inhabitants of the land, as thou goest to Shur, even unto the land of Egypt. Remember, the Amalekites were the ones that God sent Saul down to destroy, and evidently they're not destroyed, because they're still alive here. That was in the, 14th, the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel, where... Saul, Samuel told Saul, go down and destroy the Amalekites. Well, here they are, alive and well. And David smote the land and left neither man or woman alive, 
and took away the sheep and the oxen and the asses and the camels and the apparel and returned and came to Achish. And Achish said, Whither have you made a road today? Where did you go today, David? David's not going to be completely honest with him. I'm going over here destroying some of your people. And David said, against South Judah, (laughs) he's lying to Achish. And against the south of the Jeremelites, and against the south of the Kenites, and David saved neither man nor woman alive to bring tidings to Geth, saying, lest they should tell on us, lest they should tell on David, saying, so did David, and so will, so will be his manner all the while he dwelleth in the country of the Philistines. He's going to lie to Achish and the Philistines all the time he's there. He's going to go out and attack some of their towns, come back and tell him he was attacking Judah. David loved Judah and he loved Saul. He was really, he would lie to the enemy to tell him, I'm out there trying to destroy Saul. And Achish believed David, saying, he hath made his people of Israel utterly to abhor him. Therefore, he shall be my servant forever. He's on Achish's side now. Now, let's read in this next chapter. And it came to pass in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel. And Achish said unto David, Know thou surely that thou shalt go out with me to battle thou and thy man. And David said to Achish, Surely thou shalt know what thy servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore will I make thee keeper of mine head forever. Now Samuel was dead. We saw that he died in that 25th chapter, the first verse. I believe it's 25 and 1. Yep, Samuel's dead. And Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits and wizards out of the land. That's very important. He put away all the witches. So when he goes to the witch of Endor, which is just after this, and he goes to the witch of Endor, she says, You've had a lot of witches. I know who you are. You're Saul. And she can't bring up Samuel anyway. He's dead. You can't talk to the dead. If you're God, you can talk to the dead. And let's read on here because this is where he goes to the witch of Endor. And like I said last week, I'm quite sure on the movie, The Bewitched, that Endor was named after the witch of Endor. Now, let's read about this because this is where Saul needs to get some help because he's going to attack. The Philistines are going to attack him in that last chapter. Now, let's read on here. Samuel was dead, and all Israel had lamented him and buried him in Ramah, even in his own city. And Saul had put away those that had familiar spirits, Remember the word familiar spirit? Ob. 
word familiar spirit is the word bato. It's the word bato. It's what it is. A bottle was not something like this. That wasn't a bottle. It wasn't made of glass. A bottle was a goat's stomach. The way they would kill a goat, cut his stomach out, cure it, dry it, and it would be... And you've seen people carry these goat stomachs on their back, and they had a strap on it, and they would carry it on their back. They would carry their juices or whatever in here. And when the Septuagint, LXX, was translated by these translators around 200 B.C., because by that time, Alexander the Great, he lived from around 332 B.C., and he died around 320 B.C. He only, he only ruled the world for about 12 years. And he was a young man when he died. It's believed that one of his generals killed him. Well, he gave all the world all of its glossa, its foreign languages of of dialects, dialects of the Greek. He gave all the world all of its culture, customs, and they were speak all the world was speaking Greek. So in 200 BC, some of the some of the scholars that were expert Hebrew and Greek scholars, they said, we need to translate the Old Testament Hebrew into Greek. Because most of the people in the world were speaking Greek, not Hebrew. So they translated it and they called it the Septuagint, S-E-P-T-U-I-G-I-N-T. And the Septuagint took 70 scholars, and any time you see LXX, that's 70, and that's what the Septuagint was called. And when they translated the word familiar spirit, familiar spirit, they didn't translate it ob. They translated it, this is the word, I've got it in several of my books, this is the word they translated it. They translated it E-N-G-A-S-T-R-O-M-U-T-H-O-S. Comes from three words in, this is in the Greek, gastro and muthos. Muthos is the word myth. Now, these translators were brilliant. They were 70 translators that knew the Greek and the Hebrew backward and forward. And they said, gastro means stomach, and in means within. What they translated, the word familiar spirit, they translated it, a myth within the stomach. The stomach of the goat. It was a myth. And what they had learned to do 
they had learned ventriloquism, how to throw their voices. And they called that peeping and muttering. Peep and mutter. And they would pretend to be talking in a high squeaky voice, pretending to talk to the dead ancestors of somebody. And the, there was a law against being a familiar spirit. You had to die trying to talk to the dead because nobody was talking to the dead. They were pretending to talk to the dead, cheating people out of their money, saying, I'm talking to your your grandmother here. And they would do a squeaky voice and say, that's your dead grandmother. God says, you do that, and you have a death penalty against you in Israel. Let me see if I can read a couple more of these words. I'm just about out of time. And the Philistines gathered themselves. they got to remember, the word witch doesn't mean a little hag that's got a hook nose that rides a broom. Witch was the word kossoff. It meant to whisper, speak smooth words. Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. That's talking about people who talk soft, smooth words and convince you of things by being smooth. And that's against the law of God. Am I out of time? I'm not through with this. I'll come back and we'll have... We'll have Saul meeting the witch of Endor next week. He wanted what he wanted at any cost. He was willing to disguise himself as some person so that he could ask for her to conjure up Samuel, who had been dead for two years. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. God, help us in all that we do. Let us realize every day that everything that's going on is your will. Cause us to be content in all things, pushing self aside, dying to the flesh. We'll praise you for all things, fight our battles for us. We can't fight them anymore. We'll praise you for everything in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, what are you doing here, guy? Trying to behave. Huh? Trying to behave. You're trying. Not easy. Not easy. No, you know, not not trying to be mad at people. That old guy, I've done real good. I have. You think you can use this? It's a Barnes and Noble thing. Oh yeah. Huh? Yeah. Okay. We'll take that and use it, Barnes and. Huh? I like books. Well, you might be able to buy some food there. I don't know. Oh, I, I think I have a cafe I, over there or something. You, know you gave me that one at the uh, office depot. And, uh, 